probably noticed there's some water in the baptistry, and so it's going to be a, a special day today, a good day today. Uh, Sister Amelia Jones is going to come later and, and ask for a, a home in the church, and so um, I want to, before she does that, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about uh, the blessing of church membership, uh, the blessing of church membership. We, uh, Some of us here were able to go to Memphis over the weekend, and uh, Grace Chapel had their meeting, and and it was a it was a great meeting. Um, I'd already planned to to preach on this, but was just stirred even further at uh, s- several of the messages. Brother Dan Beecham was one of the invited preachers, and he just preached a fantastic series on uh, the church, uh, the church as a building built on the cornerstone, a church as the bride, and church as the body. And I would I would encourage you if you have time to go and listen to those. Um, and, and one of the things that I appreciated so much about the way he handled that was, was that he just was able to show just how glorious Christ's church is. Just what a privilege it is to be able to be part of the body or part of that building that is being built up for a habitation of God. And so I want to, again, this morning, spend a little bit of time just thinking about the blessing of um, church membership, blessing of church membership. I want to start by reading in Matthew 16, verse 18. Um, Matthew 16, verse 18, very familiar passage for us. Jesus is asking um, His Apostles here, his disciples, who, who do men say that I am? They say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. And some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And in, in Matthew 16, in verse uh, 16, it says that Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonas, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we make this point, I try to make this point, regularly as we think about the church One of the things that we ought to be encouraged about is this statement that Jesus Christ makes as He's speaking to Peter and He says without any qualification, I will build My church. You know, Jesus Christ is in the middle of building His church right now. I say in the middle. We don't know where He is in it. But He is building His church. He is in the business of building His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against what he's building. Well, as we think about that reality, and we think about the blessing that we get to be part of this church that Christ is building, 
I want to start out with just a couple of couple of things. What is it? How is it that Christ is building this church? How is it that he's building his church? What are the materials that he's using? Who gets to be part? Well, we saw earlier in the text, verse 16, whenever Jesus asked the answer, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ and the Son of the living God. Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father did. And then if we could cut a little bit out and jump to the, the, the substance of what he's saying, he's saying, and I'm going to build my church on this. On what? I'm going to build my church on the foundation of the work of the Father in the lives of His people who come to faith in me, who come to faith in Christ. Who is it? What is it? That is being built together as a holy habitation for God. Well, several weeks ago, we looked at the difference between the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We made note of the fact that regeneration has been going on throughout both Testaments. That is being brought from death to life. One of the special things that we receive in the New Testament is the Spirit poured out on us in a way that He is indwelling the believer. What is the church made of? What is the church built of? Or built with? Stones that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's a spiritual house, a spiritual temple. Those who have been made alive and indwelt by the Spirit who come together to worship the Lord in spirit, because we are indwelt by the Spirit, in spirit and in truth. Well, what that means is the church, in and of itself, I mean, in a fundamental way, we're talking about a, a spiritual reality. So we are gathered together today as the church in a physical place. But not everybody here is gathered as the church. That makes sense. The church is made of spiritual stones. So as we are made alive through the Spirit, as we are brought to faith in Christ then Jesus uses us as one of those stones, one of those building blocks which the church is being built up. I really want to spend most of my time this morning in, in Titus chapter 2 as we think about the, the blessing of church membership. One of the, one of the hang-ups sometimes that people have is that uh, you know if you look through the New Testament, uh, you never find the word or words church member. Uh, church membership is not mentioned, at least by name, 
when you look through the New Testament. But what you will find is that beginning in Acts and as you make your way through the New Testament, there are references of people who are being added to the church. There are widows who are on a particular list that need to be taken care of. We go even further out from that. There are things that the Apostle Paul assumes are being done within a body, a local body of believers that could not be done by accident. They could not be done frivolously. They could not be done outside of a commitment within that body to one another for a specific purpose. And so the question is, whenever Jesus Christ says, I'm going to build my church, what does that mean? How is it done? And then to what end? To what end? What is the purpose? What's the purpose of God having His people assemble together regularly for worship? So you could say, you know, whenever God Christ is building His church, He's bringing us together here. What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is to worship. Okay? That's ultimately the purpose. That's why we're here. But the question I just ask is a little different. What is the purpose for God having His people come together regularly for worship? Is there, a, is there another purpose involved in that? And the answer to that is yes. Um, God's purpose for us outside of coming together for corporate worship the way we do here is that one of the intentional byproducts of that, brother and sister in Christ, is your sanctification, which is God's big purpose over the whole thing. That, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren, that you might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we might be changed from glory to glory, one degree at a time, that we might, Ephesians 4, grow up into our head, the head of the body. Sometimes it's easy to think about worship, church attendance, it's just kind of a spectator kind of sport, if you call it that. You know, we come together, you look at the guy in a suit, coat, and a tie, you listen to what he has to say, you get done, you eat, come back, and then you go home. Well, that is part of what we do here. But God's design for the church is that the church function in a particular way. And we looked at this a couple of years ago as we were in Titus, and I just want to remind you of this and, and draw out some practical points about how this applies to the necessity of church membership and the blessing of church membership. You know, one of the things that we can say 
maybe it's true at times, is that we can come on a Sunday or we can come on a Wednesday, come on a Sunday afternoon, and we can leave and say, well, you know, I didn't really get anything out of that service. Now, if you've ever thought that, you don't have to be embarrassed. I don't take it personal when that happens. Maybe times where it does. But you know, I really think that's probably when you walk away and the first question you're asking is, what did I get out of that? I I think we're asking the wrong question. Now, this is not just a defense mechanism for a pastor who doesn't hit 10 out of 10. This is just reality. When we're coming to worship God, the question is not, what am I getting out of the service? The question is, what is God getting out of me? We're giving, we're here to give Him worship, right? So for us to come and pretend like we're the consumers gets it all upside down. We're here to give God something. What is it? We're here to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are made acceptable to Him by Christ. And then, again, the question is, what is it? Well, one of the realities that we see out of Titus, and again, we, we looked at this several years ago, but I, I know you don't remember everything we said about it. And so just to bring back to your memory, God's plan for the church, the way that Jesus Christ is building the church, Maybe you haven't thought about it this way, but we've said spiritual stones. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is necessary. But did you know that Jesus is using the church to build the church? Does that make sense? That's We're talking about you now. We're not talking about some um, mystical idea of something. We're talking about you. Jesus Christ's plan, one of the things that He intends to be happening while we're here is that the church is continually building the church. We could go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and talk about the fact that every one of us has been given a gift by Christ that's been measured out for us for the edifying of the body. We could go down a little bit and talk about the reality that we are supposed to be speaking truth and love to one another so that we might all grow up into our head. We could go down a little further and we could point out in Ephesians 4 that the purpose of the gift that you've been given is that the body might edify itself in love. Edification comes from within. Now, obviously, that's through the power of Christ through the Spirit, but brothers and sisters, sometimes we can get this idea that I just show up. The fact that I'm here, the fact that I'm present. Sometimes we just get this idea that... um, as long as I just show up every now and again. Well, God's design 
for the blessing of church membership is not only that we're present, but we're active. Building. Building. This is not the first time you've heard me say this. It won't be the last. The reality is we get to pick the normal for what the next generation of this church will take and build on. Right? No one else will do that. Um, We get to set the norm for what it means to be committed, to assemble, to fellowship, to interact. One of the... uh, Ironic, maybe, might be the word. You've heard me say something around these lines before. Something ironic about the last you know, three, four years. You know, when the government said church wasn't essential, you can't come. People were riled up about it. Because church is essential. Okay, it is. The last three years hasn't really proven out that the people who were loudest about how essential church is really meant it. They didn't want the government telling them they couldn't come. They don't really care for the pastor saying they should come. They just want to do their thing. I think what the last three or four years has really exposed among a lot of Christians and a lot of churches is they were a lot less concerned about their inability to go to church and a lot more concerned about their independence to be able to do whatever it was they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. Wouldn't it be sad if that was the norm for this church? One generation away. One generation away. You say, well, who's going to determine that? You are. Remember? You are. Now, what about this? What about a place where we come and, again, I'm in Titus chapter 2, and you, you, you maybe are familiar, but if not, let me remind you. In Titus chapter 2, it starts out with, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, the things that accompany sound doctrine. And then he goes on for the next um, 10 verses or so, and, and he talks about the fact that the the aged men are to be sober and grave, that is respectful and temperate. They have self-control. They're sound in faith. They're sound in charity or in love. They're sound in patience or endurance. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. What are we talking about here? Well, sometimes I think all of our churches could be charged with being guilty of 
being more worried about trying to identify as the church than as to function as the church. Okay, the church is supposed to function in a particular way. We don't just get to say, tag, you're it, and then write it out. The church is a place where the older men are seeking to grow in and grow into men who can think clearly because they're viewing life through the lens of Scripture. They've grown in wisdom because they've applied themselves there. They're respectful. They're, they, they have self-control. They are sound in faith, in love, in endurance. And then those men turn around and teach the younger men how to be the same thing. Where do you get? How do you get? How do you get a church where the norm is older men who possess these qualities? Well, the answer is not that difficult. How do you get it? You have older men who are already pursuing this train up younger men as to what and how to possess these qualities. Same thing with women. What are the older women supposed to be doing? Well, they're supposed to be teaching the younger women. Now, now here's the, here's what I want to, what I want to point out as far as the blessing of church membership. This is a long term view, the long term goal. Um, what would you think if I were to say uh, for the next two weeks, if you'll just come to Bible study, I'm going to teach you how to be a sober minded man. And at the end of that two weeks, you'll have it. I don't know if you realize how absurd that statement is, but it, it's pretty absurd. You don't become a sober-minded man from two weeks' worth of teaching. This is a lifetime of growing, learning, being encouraged, being challenged, taking the uh, experiences that the Lord has blessed you with, maybe some that you look back on and say, I couldn't see this then, but I can see it now. This is taking that and then coming alongside the the younger, and helping them as they go through those similar experiences, encouraging them that Christ is here, and let me tell you how He was with me in a similar circumstance, encouraging them to endure even though it's difficult, encouraging them to hold fast And then one day encouraging them to turn around and encourage someone else in the same way. You see, this is really a big part of what it means for us to grow in Christ likeness. That is, the body is intentionally building itself up. And so the Lord is using 
we think about this conformity to Christ, he's using the the preached word, the word as it's preached. He's also using the the word as it's modeled or as it's shown. You know, there's a lot of a lot of things that we understand to be true and sometimes we just don't understand how do I what do I do with this? How do I apply this? How do I bring this into my life? One of the uh, easy ones is for young married couples. How do I be a godly husband? What does that even mean? I mean, I know what it says on paper, but how do I do that? How do I how how do I function as a godly wife and a godly mother? How do I do that? Well, those hows are pretty important. Where is the church supposed to learn that? Older women, older men. We're supposed to be pouring into the younger men. And you know what? This Christ-likeness that we're seeking to grow up into permeates every aspect of your life. What I mean by that is, it's not just I'm Christ-like at work and then I come home and I'm normal. I'm Christ-like. I'm a Christ-like husband or father, but everything else is no. It's 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 everything. It permeates everything. Now, Titus chapter two assumes church membership. Now again, it doesn't say it, but let me tell you what it does. What it assumes. Here's here's going to be my just working definition of church membership. Church membership is a commitment that invites accountability. Church membership is a commitment. A commitment to what? A commitment to growing in Christ likeness, and a commitment to helping you grow in Christ likeness. We're committing to one another that. Christ's idea for the church is my idea for the church. And then it's a commitment to accountability. That is, when you see me straying from the way, then you come and pull me back. Or, when you see me limping along the way, then you come and hold me up. Sometimes people have a difficult time distinguishing between what's the difference between attending a church and being a member of a church. And as far as a way to illustrate it, the difference is in a casual dating relationship in a marriage. There's not much of a commitment in a casual dating relationship. As long as it's enjoyable, you're there. As soon as it's not, you're done. Okay, in a marriage, you've committed yourself for better or for worse. You've made a vow. Again, a commitment. that I'm going to seek to elevate 
this relationship above my own personal preference. And as we come together and commit ourselves as the church, again, committed to what? Well, committed to us all coming to the unity of the body of Christ, all coming to the fullness of sanctification, and that's a work that's going to happen until the day you die, but all growing in this Christ-likeness. Saying, I'm committed to that. You know, we have a taste of this. We know this. If you've been here very long by experience, you know this. Um, when one of the members here is in need, it's just assumed that the rest of the church is going to take care of them. Now, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I just mean that in a very sweet way. If you haven't been around here very long, stick around and you'll see that. Someone has a child, it's just assumed we're going to feed them some meals because we love them. Somebody's going through a difficult time, it's just kind of assumed that we're going to continue to mention them and pray for them. It would be, it would be odd if we didn't do that. Somebody's in a particular need of something, it's just kind of assumed. We're going to try to do something about that. We're going to try to help out with that. And so as I say this and talk about this, as far as the church membership and the commitment and the covenant, those kinds of things, I think this church does it very well. I also think we can always continue to grow and abound in our commitment here. So, what are we saying when we commit ourselves to a local church, what are we saying? Well, we're saying my commitment to grow and to help and to serve and to edify is primarily here. It's primarily here. One of the things that I've tried to encourage people with over the years as they've moved off and... Um, not been close enough for a regular attendance here is that the, if you're not careful, what you'll end up turning into is a visitor everywhere and a member nowhere. What I mean by that is this. You'll show up, somebody will slap you on the back and let you know it was good to see you, and you'll go home. And you'll spend the rest of your life without anybody having any real concern for where you are and how you are spiritually. That's not Christ's design. Some people think about church membership and they think, I just don't want folks in my business. Well, if you don't want folks in your business, church membership is probably not for you. Okay, But if you don't want folks in your business, then the business of growing in Christ is probably not on your agenda and that ought to be a concern. Because some of the provisions that we've been given for that growth, again, is each other. So when we think about the commitment, the commitment is to a body 
the understanding and the uh, invite of accountability. I think it's helpful to look in Acts 20 to see how this is used. In Acts 20, this is as the Apostle Paul brings the Ephesian elders together. He's bidding them farewell. And one of his exhortations to them in verse 28 is, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So a couple of things. First, he's speaking here about a flock, or that is the church, which Christ has purchased with his own blood. And what he's encouraging these elders to do is to take the oversight. to be overseers, to look after. There's some accountability involved in that. Um, You know, I have said this more than once. I I love being a pastor. It's, uh, It's a joy to me to be a pastor. There are times as a pastor where I have to say things or do things that people don't like. And one of the things that I try to remind myself and sometimes remind others is that my job has never been to try to make you happy. That's just not my job. And one of the things that motivates me in thinking about what is necessary even when it's difficult to do is that one of these days I'm going to give an account to God for my ministry. For the things I did say and the things I didn't say. For the things I ignored and the things I addressed. For the commitments and convictions that I tried to act upon and the ones that I didn't. And so as a pastor, as an overseer, there's a sense in which I'm looking over, looking after, holding accountable. But to add... Another dimension of that, if you look in 1 Peter chapter 5, First Peter chapter 5, Peter's exhorting elders here, and there's something here that's helpful for, for you to understand. As he exhorts elders, and starting in verse 1, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So as I take oversight, I'm supposed to take it not as a lord over God's heritage. What does that mean? Well, that really means as you come under the oversight 
of a shepherd and under the accountability of a church, you have to do that willingly. So church membership, a commitment that invites accountability. If you're a member here, I am charged with taking the oversight, but the reality is I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Now, sometimes pastors can get discouraged over that, trying to force things that can't be forced, trying to do things that are outside of their power to do. It's really where church discipline comes into play. I can't force anyone to do anything, but if you've made a commitment to the body to grow in the likeness of Christ and you are voluntarily inviting accountability and then you renege on that, the solution is not for the pastor to tromp and stomp and throw a fit in the pulpit trying to get folks to act right. The solution is to recognize after a time of laboring with somebody, you no longer are honoring this commitment and you no longer are inviting this accountability. And so the only logical thing left to do is to remove you from it. What's the point? Well, the point is, is that if you are interested in honoring the name of Christ in the church of Christ by growing further into the image of Christ, then one of the greatest blessings and provisions that Jesus Christ has given to the believer is the church. And one of the greatest labors that we can spend our lives in is taking up the mantle, taking up the stewardship of the church of Christ through becoming a committed member who invites this accountability into our lives. You know, I'm not above that. The reason why we say that we are a congregation-led body, I can't just get up here and start spouting things and saying this is what we're going to do. The congregation edifies itself in love. The congregation is ministering to itself. That includes me. I have a particular role. I have a particular gift. But you do too. And so this morning, I am thankful that Christ is continuing to add to this church. I'm thankful for Amelia's desire to join herself with us, to commit herself to the one another's that are in Scripture, to commit herself to growing in sanctification and for our growth in sanctification and invite that accountability.